So, y'all, uh, the title to Psalm 18, one of David's psalms, the title to that psalm, and sometimes you read this at the beginning of, of not every psalm, but certain psalms. And this one, it says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this psalm, because that psalm, not all of them, but this psalm is, is a psalm. And he says that David addresses the words of this song to the Lord on a day when the Lord delivered him from the, from the hand of his enemies. And so he, 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 he pins this song and he addresses this song to this Lord who, who kind of saved him and rescued him and delivered him from his enemies. And so David is praising God for that deliverance. And he says in verse 1, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And that you see the word Lord is in all capitals, and that's because the Hebrew behind that is the personal name of God, Yahweh. And so he's telling this personal God that he is his strength. And then he goes on in verse 2, and he tells us why he loves the Lord. He says, you're my rock, and you're my fortress, and you're my deliverer, and you're the one in whom I take refuge. He says, you're my shield, and you're the... You're, you're, you're the horn of my salvation. And he, he, he caps verse 2 off with, you're my stronghold. And y'all, all of Psalm 18, is, it's such an encouraging psalm. All 50, there's 50 verses in Psalm 18. And they all shout out, cry out to us that, that God's got it. That he is an encourager. That he is a deliverer. That he is a comforter. January of 2003, there was a young guy, and his name was Terry Dreyer. And I don't imagine any of y'all have ever heard of Terry Dreyer. But he was in the water 20 hours after his boat capsized, and his, his courageously uh, trying to survive in the waters, although later on he confessed that he was pretty sure that he was going to die. But after a long while, a helicopter located him, and and sent word to a ship that was on its way to the Persian Gulf. And the name of that ship was the USS Comforter. The USS Comforter. And it was on its way to do battle, but it paused. It stopped to deliver one man. They went out of their way to save this one man who had been stuck in that water for 20 or 30 hours. And I know as we sit here today, and if you're listening or if you're here, that lots of folks today are are treading water. Don't know how much longer you can hang in there. This can be a season of the year where we know in our minds that we should just be full of joy and joy comes in the morning and you know Jesus tells us that he told his guys that he was not going to be here much longer but they would have joy. There would be sorrow and then they would have joy but this is a time of year that for lots of people, you can just feel terrible, even though in your mind you know you shouldn't because of the loss of a family member. Whatever it is, it brings back memories that aren't so great. Maybe you feel super tired. Maybe you feel super beat up. Maybe you feel like all is lost. But the reality is all you and I got to do is just look up and we see the deliverer is, is here. James mentioned God with us, that he's here and he's hovering nearby and I'm telling you today that that he wants you to know and he wants me to know exactly where that deliverance can be found 
the God of all comfort, the, the masterful encourager. A couple of weeks ago, we did part one of this message, the masterful encourager. This Today is part two. And, and, and he will make sure that the comfort and the encouragement that you and I need, that it's going to come our way. And it's going to come our way in his timing. And his timing is always perfect. It's always perfect. So we're back today. We're back in Acts chapter 18 and last after last week. And uh, we were out of town. Susan and I were out of town. And, and we, uh, I was in really planning. I was doing a wedding up in North Georgia. And we also had a new grandbaby on Friday at Friday morning at 10 o'clock named Addison. And I'm probably going to get in trouble because we don't have a picture of her on the screen. But she was born with more hair than I've got. Um, <laughs> Which is, I guess, not saying much, but she's got this head full of black hair. She's the cutest little thing. And she was a big baby. So we're thankful. So, but last Sunday, Norman preached this really spirit-led message. Norman Dunlap, our executive pastor. But today we're back in Acts chapter 18, and we're back kind of towards the beginning. Paul's second missionary journey in Acts 18. Paul is in Corinth, and if you remember a uh, couple of weeks ago, I went on and on about the cesspool that Corinth was, and Paul had come across Asia, and, and he, he goes over, uh, crosses the Aegean Sea, and he's in, uh, in Neapolis, which is the port there, and he's in Philippi, and then he goes from Philippi to Thessalonica. He's moving south, Thessalonica to Berea. He gets down to Athens, where all the smart people are, and then he gets over to Corinth, which is due west, pretty much due west of Athens. But Corinth was this, just this cesspool of depravity, and you know, the infectious nature of of that, of the, of the depravity, just know that that can infiltrate, does, it can and does and will and has and will continue probably, uh, of that culture can, can infiltrate the church. Paul even writes back to, in 1 Corinthians, to this church in Corinth that he had spent so much time with, and in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians in verse 9, he gives us this cross-section, this little snapshot maybe of what it looked like in Corinth. And he, and he says that, that there's sexual immorality, there are idolaters, there are adulterers, there are men who practice homosexuality, there are thieves and greedy folks and drunks and revilers. Anybody know what a reviler is? It's a slanderer. It's people that speak evil against you. Swindlers. And Paul tells them in, tells them in, in chapter 6, there in verse 9, that none of those people are going to inherit the kingdom, and such were some of you. And he's talking to the folks in Corinth. So it is a bad place, Corinth. It is a nasty place. Debauchery and depravity and demon worship and idol worship. And that's where Paul arrives in God's sovereignty. That's where Paul arrives from Athens. And he arrives there. Really, he arrives there and he is, he is basically broken and he is alone and he is super, super discouraged. But you and I, he did and you and I, we serve this God of encouragement. John chapter 13, Jesus had just dropped this, this nuclear bomb on his guys that, that one of them was going to betray him and that Peter was going to uh, deny him three times. But in John 14, Jesus says, let your hearts be what? Let your hearts not be what? Troubled. 
troubled. Don't, get, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. So God, he's, he's an encourager. In John chapter 16, Jesus is letting his guys know, and he had done it numerous times, but in John 16, he's letting his guys know that, that, that it's like Scripture talks about him turning his head to the cross. And in John 16, he's doing that, and he, he tells his guys, I'm not going to be with you all that much longer. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he says, I'm not going to be with you much longer. But then in verse 20 of John uh, 16, he says, but your sorrow will turn to joy. In verse 22, he says, your hearts will rejoice and no one can take that joy away from you. But here's what I know. You get discouraged. I get discouraged. There can just be seasons and times in our lives where there's discouragement. Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah. The two of them pretty much spent their entire ministries in the throes of tough times and discouragement. And the Lord kind of told them, I want you to be a prophet. Jeremiah, I want you to be a prophet. Isaiah, I want you to be a prophet. And they were almost at the same time chronologically. But I want you all to be prophets. I want you to be spokesmen for me. And oh, by the way, ain't nobody going to listen to one word that you say. How would you like it if that's the way, that's what, if the Lord said that to you? The Lord said, Marianne, I want you to be a spokesman for me. I want you to speak my words to, to a lost and dying world. But oh, by the way, ain't nobody going to listen to one word that you say. Y'all, they're discouraged. But then in Isaiah chapter 43, in verse 1, the Lord says to, to Isaiah, fear not. He says, I've redeemed you. He says, I have bought you back. That's what the word redeem means. I have bought you back. He says, I've delivered you. He says, in, in fact, he says, I've called you by name. And he says, and you're mine. When you and I get discouraged, he tells him you are mine. And so when me and you, when we get discouraged, the first thing we need to do, y'all, is remember who we belong to. Remember who you belong to. If you have given your life to the Lord, you belong to him. And then Isaiah goes on in verse 2. The Lord tells them, when you pass through the waters. This, this was in one of, the, one of the songs that we sang just a little while ago. He says, when you pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you. He says, the rivers, they're not going to overwhelm you. He says, when you're walking through the fire, you ain't even going to get burned. You're not even going to get singed. The edge of your garment, it's not even going to get burned. So, y'all, we serve a God who is such an encourager. That's Isaiah and then Jeremiah. Jeremiah, y'all's a whiner. Jeremiah cried. Jeremiah cried through a whole book of the Bible. From the beginning to the end. The book of Lamentations. What did he do in the book of Lamentations? He lamented. He cried. He whined. It's like the whole ministry, Jeremiah's whole ministry was a ministry of tears because he's weeping for Israel, and nobody would listen to him. Chapter 3 of Lamentations, starting in verse 15. Just listen to, to his words and where his heart is. He says in, in, in chapter 3, starting in verse 15, he says, he, he says, I'm filled with bitterness. I feel like I'm chewing on rocks, he says. I feel like I'm wallowing in ashes. He says, I got no peace. He said, I even, forgot, I even forgot how to be happy. How would you like to forget how to be happy? He says that he, he's hopeless, that his soul is in the pits. 
And then verse 21 of Jeremiah chapter 3. He writes, but. But. Thank the Lord for buts. He says, but. Verse 21, it's like memories start flooding back into, into trickling back, flooding back into his mind, into Jeremiah's mind. And he says, but I feel hopeless. I, I, I'm in the, my soul is in the pit of despair. But then the Lord just in his sovereignty just puts in his mind and he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Well, what is the this that I call to mind? What is the this that Jeremiah calls to mind? It's the steadfast love of the Lord. And it's not just the steadfast love of the Lord. It's the fact that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never ceases. He says his, this, 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 this Yahweh, this Lord that I praise, His mercy is boundless. His mercy never comes to an end. He says it's new every single day of my life. This is what is flooding back to Jeremiah's mind. And he says the Lord is my portion in verse 24. First he says your mercy never comes to an end. And he says, Lord, great is your faithfulness. Y'all, the Lord that we serve, the, 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 the God that we have sat here for 25 minutes singing and praising, he is completely faithful. And his faithfulness to me and you does not depend on our faithfulness to him. It knows no end. And his mercies know no end. And then, and then Jeremiah says in verse 24, he says, the Lord, Yahweh, he's my portion. He says, therefore, because his mercies never end, his faithfulness is unending, his steadfast love, of, uh, the steadfast love endures, he says, therefore, I will, I will place my hope in him. I will hope in him. Even if I have to wait, he's my portion. Even in the discouraging times, he's my portion. In the discouraging times, I'm going to lay my hope in him. And my encouragement will be in Him. And my comfort will be in Him. And y'all, if you remember back in Acts chapter 9, and we've been walking through Acts. If you remember in Acts chapter 9, after God's people in Acts chapter 8 had been scattered. The word was scattered. We did a series called Scattered about Acts chapter 8. And, how, and why was, was, were God's people scattered right after the birth of the church? Because it was persecution. They didn't scatter because times were good. They scattered because they were discouraged. But in, in Acts chapter 9, Luke writes that the church in Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And that through the encouragement, it's the words that Luke uses that he pens. He says through the encouragement and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church grew and the church multiplied. So y'all, God has been in the business of encouraging his people for a long, long time. And Paul jumps over from Athens to Corinth, and he is super discouraged. A couple of weeks ago, we said that, that God encouraged Paul in this season of his life in at least uh, three ways. We said that he used godly friends, old friends and new friends, uh, to encourage Paul. Priscilla and Aquila, two new friends, became his very best friends. Uses those two to encourage Paul. And he, used, he brought Silas and Timothy down from the northern part of Macedonia, brought them down to encourage him. And so he uses godly friends. He does that for me and you. And then we said that uh, 
that the second thing that the Lord uses for Paul, he uses some fruit in Paul's life, some fruit in his ministry as an encouragement. Some, uh, he allows Paul to see some folks get saved. Some folks to, he lets Paul see some folks come to Christ, and he, he lets Paul see people growing in the Lord because of Paul's ministry. Today, I want to talk about the, the third way, y'all, that I think that the Lord encouraged Paul, and that is through fellowship with himself. Fellowship with the Lord himself. Paul hangs out with the Lord himself. And so if if I can get encouraged by some friends and I can get encouraged by some fruit, if I'm hanging out with, with God himself, then I can, surely I can get some incredible encouragement through that. And we see that in throughout Paul's life in the, in the book of Acts. We see when Paul's back is against the wall, when he feels like he's in a pit, when he's in the throes of despair, when he's just looking and crying out for direction. We said a little while ago, God's timing is so perfect and it always is. And when Paul is in this this, this position of feeling hopeless and feeling discouraged, that's when God jumps in. Paul tries to go through Asia Minor. The Holy Spirit said, nope. Paul tries to go up north, way into northern Galatia. The Holy Spirit says, nope. Tries to go into Bithynia. The, the Holy Spirit says, no. And the Holy Spirit kind of guided him through this northern corridor across the northern size, side, the northern boundary of Asia guided him through there he gets almost to the edge of the Aegean Sea and then in Acts chapter 16 and Paul doesn't know where to go he's just being kind of guided and listening to the Holy Spirit but Acts chapter 16 verse 9 says and a vision appeared to Paul in the night a man of Macedonia was standing there in this vision this man from Macedonia was standing there and urging Paul and says come on over to Macedonia and help us this vision and, then that, and it happens again in chapter 22 of Acts. And it happens again in chapter 23 of Acts. And it happens again in chapter 27 of Acts. And it happens here in Acts 18. Let's look at it. It's verse 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. So the Lord tells him not to be scared, but to keep on speaking. Don't be scared. Keep on preaching. And then he gives him, in verse 10, he gives him three incredible reasons, y'all, not to be ashamed and to keep pushing ahead and to keep preaching the gospel and to keep speaking. On the front of my Bible, it's a silly looking picture, but on the front of my Bible is, is, is engraved Romans 1.16, probably one of the most meaningful verses and has played out over the course of my walk as a Christian in so many different ways. It, that joker right there texted this to me and it led me to lead my dad to Christ 29 hours before he died. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of salvation. For, for those who, it's the power of salvation. So it's Romans 1.16. And I think we can point back to Acts 18, 9, and 10 and see a little bit of the foundation of Romans 1, 16 that Paul, interesting, interestingly enough, ultimately writes from Corinth. But we can see the influence of 
this vision in Acts 18 when Paul writes Romans 1.16. And honestly, there are probably lots of other things that happened in Paul's life with the Lord that are wrapped up in Romans 1.16. But surely this little narrative is one of those. And so in verse 10 in this vision, I think the Lord gives him the wise, W-H-Y-S. He gives him the wise. Three reasons why he should keep on pushing ahead and preaching the gospel. Number one is this. The Lord tells him, I am with you. I am with you. That is, I am with you. Like that is this major way that, that God has always encouraged his people. When God commissioned Joshua as the leader of Israel, right after Moses dies, he encourages Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. And the Lord tells him to be strong and to be courageous. That word is chazak in Hebrew. He says, be chazak, be, be strong and be courageous. Don't be frightened and don't be dismayed. And then he tells him, the Lord tells Joshua, he says, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. David, King David wrote in Psalm 23, and everybody knows Psalm 23. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Say it. Why? Because you are with me. He says, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Don't be scared. You walk through, through the pit. He says, I'm with you. Daniel chapter 3. If you remember in Daniel chapter 3, it's three dudes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, getting thrown into the fire. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king. And in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting, getting thrown in this fiery furnace. And in verse 24, Daniel writes, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Didn't we cast three men bound into the fire? Wasn't it three people that we threw into that fire? And they answered him. They said, King, true, true, O king. And he answered them and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Well, reckon why he looks like a son. Reckon why that would be. God walked through the fire with his three guys. They didn't get burned a bit. It was so hot that one of the guards died from the heat. But these three didn't get burned. Well, how come? Because God walks through the fire with you. And y'all, I wish I could tell you that he always removes the fire and life is a bed of roses. No, sometimes we walk through it. But he is walking with us every single time. He is walking with us through whatever it is. That's a promise. Do you believe as we sit here today? Do you believe that God has made that promise to you? Have you read passages like Joshua 1? Or, or Psalm 23, or Daniel chapter 3, and you wished so bad that God would have made that promise to you, and you say, well, I ain't Shadrach, Meshach, or David, or, or Joshua, or whoever. But y'all, I'm telling you, as we stand here today, God has made that promise to you. If you have a relationship with Him, He has made that promise to you. Matthew chapter 28, the very last of Jesus' words recorded by the evangelist Matthew in his gospel, verse 20 of chapter 28. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
I, that's a promise. And yeah, he's making that promise in context to his guys. That promise transcends time and culture. That promise is for every Christ follower that has ever lived or ever will live. He, he is with us. Y'all, he is with us. And it is so cool to me in Matthew's gospel that it didn't begin in Matthew 28. He's with us. It, no, it began in Matthew chapter 1. In verse 23, as Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. Y'all, he is with you. If you are his, if you are in Christ, he is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. There is no trial, no tribulation that you could ever go through that would remove his Holy Spirit from you. It doesn't work that way. I want to encourage you that no matter how you feel, no matter the darts that the devil is throwing at you, no matter what's going on at school, no matter what's going on at work, no matter what's going on even behind the front door of your house, the Lord promises me and you that he will be with us through every bit of it. So the Lord tells Paul, number one, he says, don't stop. Don't stop speaking. Don't stop preaching the gospel because I'm with you. And then number two, he says, don't stop. Because verse 10 says, no one will attack you or harm you. He says, I, the Lord, have got your six. I've got your six. You know what your six is? It's a military. It comes from military language. If I'm a pilot, if I'm an, an, an Air Force pilot, and, my, and it's like a clock is around me, and my 12 is in front of me, and it could be altitude, doesn't matter. It could be anywhere up and down, but my, that's my 12 o'clock. Well, I can see my 12 o'clock. I really don't. I, I really don't need anybody to help me with my 12 o'clock to protect me from my 12 o'clock, but my 6 o'clock is behind me. And so if another pilot says, hey, Ed, I got your 6, it's he's protecting what's behind me that I can't see. Y'all, God has got your 6. If you're his, he's always, he always has your 6. He's protecting you from everything that's around you that you can't see. He protects you from what you can see, too, but he protects you from what you can't see. See it all throughout Scripture. We see it everywhere in Scripture. Look at the, at the very end of Isaiah, chapter 54. The very last sentence, it says that this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Well, what is the heritage of the servants of the Lord? We've got to back up one verse. The previous verse, verse 17 of chapter 54, it says that, that no weapon, does no weapon mean every other weapon? No, no weapon means no weapon. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. Nothing fashioned against you shall succeed. And he says, and you will be able to refute every tongue that comes against you. That's a promise. It's a promise. If you are a believer, then you are a servant of the Lord. That promise is for us. The promise, he's got your back. He's got your six. Isaiah 52, 12. For the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. That's Isaiah writing the, the God of Israel's got your six. He's your rear guard. Nothing can, can, can overtake you, overcome you. Isaiah 41. James talked about this a little bit during our musical worship. Starting in verse 10. So look what this says. Fear not. Isaiah 43.10. Fear not. Why? Because I'm with you. 
Don't be dismayed. I'm, I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous, victorious right hand. He says, behold, all who are, who are incensed against you, all who are, who are mad at you, who are slandering you, what, is, what does he say he'll do? They'll be put to shame and confounded. He says, you're going to look for people that contend against you, but you ain't going to find them because they're going to be nothing. God says, I'll make nothing out of them. And then in, in verse 13, he says, for he wraps it up in verse 13. He says, for I, the Lord, your God, I'm the one that will hold your right hand. He says, it is I who will say to you, don't be scared. He says, I'm telling you, and I'm trustworthy, don't be scared, because I'm the one that helps you. I'm the one that helps you. So he tells Paul, he says, don't stop. Don't stop because I'm with you. And then he says, don't stop because I got your six. Don't stop because I will protect you. I will guard you. I will be your rear guard. And then the third reason he says, he said, don't stop preaching, don't stop teaching, don't stop speaking. He says, because verse 10 goes on and says, because I have many in this city who are my people. Don't stop preaching the gospel because there are many in the city that are my people. Don't stop because there's some diamonds in the cesspool that are yet to be found. Don't stop because there are some who, as Ephesians 1.4 says, some who were chosen before the foundation of the world that are yet to be found. Some who are, as Ephesians 1.5, the very next verse says, there are some who were predestined to adoption as sons who are yet to be found. I got some diamonds in the, in the cesspool, God says, and Paul, you're the one that I've ordained to go find them. Some who are whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life that are yet to be found. You think it's that way today? Say, absolutely it's that way today. You think there are a bunch of people in our little neck of the woods, around the Chattahoochee River, Columbus, Phoenix City. You think, you think there are people here who, who, there are some of God's people in the city that, that hadn't been found yet? Please say yes. Yes. Who's going to do it? Us. That is what we are called, that is what we are called to do. And that language, thank you, sir, that language in chapter 18 of Acts here, and in other, in other passages, these other passages, it sounds like election. Sounds like election. But you say, well, what about human responsibility? Well, yes, of course, we are responsible for our choices, every one of us, 100% responsible for our choices. Just look at verse 6 of chapter 18. Paul was sharing the gospel with the Jews, Luke writes. Sharing the gospel with the Jews, and Paul says in verse 6, And when they opposed and reviled him, when they opposed and, and slandered and insulted him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood's on your own heads. Well, why is that? Because they rejected the message. Clearly, they were responsible for their rejection of Jesus. Well, here's about as much as, as I can really say and understand in my simple mind. If you come, y'all got to be listening to this. If you come to saving faith in Christ, the reason is because you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. 
If you shake your fist at him and reject his son, that's on you. And you may say, well, those two, two things don't jive. Those two things don't go together. And I would answer that you've got to allow, and I've got to allow, based on the entirety of this book, for the mystery of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. We know God is sovereign, and we know man is responsible. We know God is sovereign, and we know that every one of you and me, we are responsible for the choices that we make. There are truths in Scripture, y'all, that, that seem to be counterintuitive, that seem to not go together. Did Matthew, the tax collector, write the gospel according to Matthew, or did the Holy Spirit write the gospel according to Matthew? My answer is yes. Yes. Every word was breathed out by God. And at the very same time, every word was within Matthew's vocabulary and came off the end of his pen. Was Jesus God or was Jesus man? Again, my answer is yes. It's not either or, it's both and. He was 100% God, he was 100% man. Not 50-50 to equal 100, not 80-20 to equal 100, not 70-30 to equal 100, not 100 and 100 to equal 200. No, somehow in God's math, 100% plus 100% equals 100%. And the fact that these truths are difficult to understand, or maybe even I can never, ever fully understand them, it doesn't affect their truthfulness as it kind of relates to what we're talking about and studying and working through today. Scripture makes a truth claim that if a man or a woman goes to hell, it's his or her own responsibility. And it's his or her own responsibility for rejecting Christ and dying physically in that unbelief. And running right alongside of that, Scripture makes a claim that if a man or woman goes to heaven and lives in eternity with the Lord... It is because he or she was chosen before the foundation of the world. And can I fully understand that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But y'all, I've come to a place in my own walk, my own journey, that I'm just okay not fully understanding every single truth that Scripture makes. You know what else I love? I love it. It's kind of along these lines in Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Peter's sermon at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. That's the birth of the Christian church. The birth of the church. And Peter quotes the prophet Joel. And he says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Does he say some of the people that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved? No. He says everyone. Does he say 50% of the people that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved? No. Does he say the elect that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved? No. He says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that at the very end of this book, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, almost the very end, verse 17 of chapter 22, John writes this. He says, and let him who thirsts come. And then he says, whoever desires let him take the water of life freely. Whoever, whosoever, whoever comes. That doesn't mean some, uh, some people are in the whoever. It's whoever. Who, whoever's thirsty, let him come. Whoever desires, 
let him take the water of life. And those, and I'm telling you, if you feel like those things are in contradiction with each other, but they're not. So does that fully explain and answer all of the questions about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and election and, and, and all? No, it just probably doesn't. But I know that we serve a just and holy and unchanging God who is madly in love with you. And if you want to come to Jesus, just come on. Just come on. And how God fits that in neatly and how God tucks all of that in to his sovereignty uh, is for him to worry about. I'm going to let him worry about that. I'm not going to worry about that. I, and you don't need to worry about that. Let, let, let God worry about it. And he t- tells Paul here in, in chapter 18, don't stop sharing the gospel. Don't be scared because I'm with you. Don't be scared, he says, I've got your six. And this big reason is because there are people who, who the Lord says are my people in this city. Paul, he says, it's almost like he says, Paul, you let me figure out all of the details about how I do my thing. You just go find, you just go find them. You just go find my people. You just go find the diamonds in the cesspool and you go share my son with them. And I'm telling y'all today, That scripture cried out to the disciples. Scripture cries out to me and you, 2022. Scripture cries out to all, every Christ follower that has ever lived or ever will live, the very same thing. The last words of Jesus in Matthew, chapter 28, they're red letters. They're red letters, that means they're official, right? What does he say? He says, all authority in heaven. Does that mean some authority? Words matter. All authority. Every smidgen of authority that has ever existed is given by the Father to the Son. And these are Jesus' last words in Matthew. All authority on heaven and and earth have been given to me. And he says, because all that authority is mine, you go. Go. Go and make disciples of all the nations. And he says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And then he makes that promise. He says, you go do it. You go find them. You go share. You go make disciples. And my word to you is I will be with you always. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Y'all, let God be God. I'm not him and you're not him. Let him work the details out. Trust that he knows what he's doing. He does know what he's doing. We all the time want to try to wrestle control away from him. Give him the control. Give him the controls. We know the commander's intent. I love that language. The commander's intent is so clear. I circled it. Yeah, I did circle it. There's the commander's intent. You've heard it. You've probably heard me say that those words a thousand times. That's what he would have for us. Go make disciples. Well, what about election? And what about free will? And what about God's sovereignty? And what about predestination? Yada, yada, yada. And all those other big churchy doctrinal theological words. And I believe God would be telling us today, you let me worry about that. You you just let me worry about that. You go share my son with the lost and dying world. 
you go find all the diamonds that I've got out there in the septic tank, and I'll work out the details. Let, there's a certain amount of, and I struggle with it. I struggled with it. For a long time, I struggled. I want to be in control. That's not for us to do. It is for us to share our Jesus story with a lost and dying world. You know what I mean? And Susan's story is different than mine. And Deborah's story is different than mine. And hers is different than Susan's. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to take some of those people that he chose before the foundation of the world. And he's going to cross their path with Deborah. Who they need to hear her story. Right? He's going to take somebody else who's a friend of Justin's. And works with him. Or I don't know. Moved in next door. And his story is going to be meaningful to that person. Where my story wouldn't mean squat to that person. Because, y'all, God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And we don't need to worry. We don't need to worry about the election and the predestination. And we don't need to argue about all those things. We just need to share our story with a world that needs to hear it. And a lot of time, maybe most of the time, they don't even know they need to hear it. But they do. And they need to hear the truth. But they need to hear the truth with compassion. And they need to hear the truth from a friend. They need to hear the truth from a son or a daughter or a grandmama or a whatever. Somebody who is in relationship with them. And this narrative in Acts 18 would tell you, don't be scared. God's going to go before you in that conversation. Don't be scared. He says, I'm with you. He says, I'm holding your hand while you're in that conversation. He says, don't be scared because if somebody tries to revile you. He says, I got your six. I got your six. So, as we sit here, if you're not a Christ follower, if you're not a Christian, you're a diamond in a cesspool. And you may feel like you're in a cesspool, but you're a diamond in a cesspool. And I'm going to tell you what he did for you as you're a diamond wallowing in the cesspool. That steadfast love that Jeremiah said never ceases. That steadfast love willingly jumped on a cross, beaten mercilessly, whipped a crown of thorns, not gently placed on, on that love's head, but hammered into the skull of that love. And he did it willingly. And he knew how bad it was going to be. But y'all, that's the steadfast love of the Lord. And it's always been that way. And he is so faithful. And his love, it never, ever ends. So don't sit here if you're not in a relationship with him. Don't sit here and say, I wonder if I'm elect. No, you just come. You just come. You just come. Come to the cross. And if you got something, if you're a believer, you may have been a believer for 30 years, but you got something going on in your life and you need to leave it somewhere, leave it at the cross. Just leave it at the cross. Let me jump back and say this. If you're not in a relationship with him, I said he died on that cross willingly for you, and he did. And that offer is there for you. And all, it, it's a simple thing. I just got to believe that happened. I got to believe 
that I'm a sinner and I was in need of that sacrifice? And what is the essence of sacrifice? You give up something you love for something you love more. Well, Jesus gave up his life because he loved you more than he loved himself. That's the essence of what happened on that cross. And you just got to believe it. You got to accept it. You got to take a hold of that forgiveness and know and believe that he walked out of the grave alive. He conquered death. And that was all for you because out of that steadfast love. So y'all, let's pray. And if you have never accepted it, I would ask you to pray right along with me. Lord, today's the day where I own my sin, that I, I acknowledge and I accept that I'm broken, that I'm a sinner, and that I am in need of rescue. And maybe, Lord, Lord, I've been treading water for 20 years. But Lord, today is the day that you reach down and I accept your hand, I accept your rescue, and I cry out, Lord, save me. And I promise y'all, he will. He's never said no to anyone. And Lord, I lift this body of folks up to you. Lord, that you would, you would guard them, that you would shepherd them, that you would protect them that they would understand that you've got their six. Lord, that you would ordain their paths to cross with the people, the very perfect people at the perfect time for them to share their story. And Lord, we, we trust that you'll do that. And so Lord, I do lift them all up to you today. In Jesus' name.